We're starting a new series today um, called Mean People. Anybody know any of those? Hey, if, by the way, if this is your first Sunday and somebody invited you, just pure coincidence that they invited you today that we would start this series. But we, we live in, in this culture where I'm sure that we bump up a lot against people who are just mean. Um, and I hope that on the other side of meanness is not us, but when we talk about mean, there are probably people that come to mind. And my prayer is, is that when we, other people hear that word mean, I'm praying that your name doesn't come to mind. And so what we want to do over these next couple of weeks is just ask the question, what do we do with these people who are mean, right? What do, what do, how do we check ourselves? How do we operate within these, these confines of, of what Jesus teaches on dealing with people? Uh, how many of you know life would be a lot easier if it wasn't for people? Yeah, <laughs> so uh, we're stuck. So now we got to figure this out. There, there are people that uh, they're just not pleasant to be around. You know, the people that call your phone and you're like, uh, I'm going to leave that one on, on voicemail or they text you and you leave them on open. Like you, you, you don't want to have anything. He's like, oh, your blood pressure shoots up. You you start to get like real pale. You start to get real dizzy. Those are the, the people that just are not pleasant to be around. Then you have people that they're, they're deceptive. Like you can't trust like what's the agenda when they ask you something or they give you something. You feel like there may be something attached to that. There, there may be people that you have that you've been around that you just really control. They have to be in control. Like you don't have any say so in anything that happens. They need to have full control right? Like you're just going out to dinner, but they have got all the plan. They got the route plan. They've got the, the waiter or waitress that they like. They, they've moved your seating somewhere else because that's what they want to be. And, and, and it's your birthday. It's your celebration. It's your retirement party, right? So we have these people that, that are controlling people. And then we have people that are just absolutely unkind. Anybody bump into those people? Like just unkind. And the least that we can do as humans and humanity, it just be kind. Like if we would just be kind, things would be a lot better. And so we, we bump up with these people. So if we know that we're going we're gonna to bump into people who are mean, who are controlling and deceptive and, and harsh and, and, and just hard to be around, then we got to figure out what to do with them. We gotta, but before we can figure out what to do with them, we got to figure out what to do with us, Right? And so this is important because if you don't have a plan and you're not proactive, you're not going to know how to respond. If you don't plan and you're not prepared to bump up against these people, here's what's going to happen. The mean people in our lives will gain a measure of control over our lives, right? Because you're not ready for it. And, and the moment that they come in and they're uncooperative, they try to control, they try to uh, manipulate, they try to deceive, they now have control. And if we don't have this plan before we know it, what happens is we begin acting exactly like they do. Am I right? We've all been there. We've done this. We're all guilty. And we, we got to figure it out before it happens. We got to save it before we bump up against people, because here's why. Mean people will keep us off balance. We got to stay 
straight up. We've got to stay to our standards. We've got to stay to what the Bible tells us to do and live out the values of the Scripture. And when people that we encounter are mean, that all of a sudden, like, our, our flesh takes over, right? And it takes us off balance because then we all of a sudden begin saying things that typically don't come out of our mouths. We've been acting ways that we typically don't act like. Like, we become a whole nother person when somebody messes with you. If you don't believe it, just, just watch what happens, especially with moms, when somebody messes with the kid, right? Mama Bear comes out, right? We have a whole name for it, Mama Bear. Um, and Papa Bear's like, you got this. If you need something, we'll, we'll come later. Papa Bear comes out when your daughter's like 16 years old and the boy comes to the house. That's where Papa Bear comes out. Um, Papa Bear's really good with guns and shooting, too. And so, but mean people keep us off balance, and when we're off balance, we have to compensate. And when we compensate, we always pull from our negative resources and become like the things that we're not supposed to be. And the point is this, is it's, it's difficult to be good to people who aren't good, right? Why? <laughs> Why is it so difficult? Because it's not against our nature. I made a comment one time. A question was asked to me of, well, could Osama bin Laden have been a Christian after all that he had done? Yeah, he would have. He could have. He could have repented of his sin because when Jesus said that God so loved the world, guess who was a part of that world? Even the terrorists. God can forgive. God can redeem. And this person got so upset with me. He said, you're telling me that Jesus would have washed his feet? I said, well, he washed mine. Right? Spiritually, not physically, by the way. I'm not, I don't bounce between these time and space continuums. It's difficult to be good to people who aren't good. It's hard. That's why when we say comments like that, I, I, when I think of mean people, I got a picture I want to show you. Maybe you know who these two characters are. But uh, Kanye West, <laughs> anybody? It, all right, so those who aren't in that generation, Kanye West uh, was the greatest rapper 10 years ago, and then he went really, really crazy, and he married one of the Kardashians, and that just made life really go in a tailspin, and now there's even, I found out this morning, this conspiracy that actually he's dead, now he has a body double, so I don't know if you know, you can look into it, but this was one of the most infamous moments at the MTV Music Awards, where Taylor Swift wins an album, so uh, an award for her album, right, and so she comes on stage, and she's young here, and, and she comes up, and she's still young, because she's I think just 30, but, you know, whatever. And so she comes in, and she gets her award, and she grabs the mic, and she begins to start with her list of thank yous, and out of nowhere, Kanye West comes up and says, hey, Taylor, anybody remember what he said? I hate to interrupt you, but Beyonce had the best album of all time. And everybody was like, what a jerk this guy is, right? And everybody was so uptight, and everybody was so messed up. Taylor wrote a song about it. Because if you break up with Taylor, she writes a song about it. The way she reacted to that in the moment was one that I, I was thinking, I remember watching that moment. And it was so cringeworthy of going, oh, I feel so bad for her. But now I don't, because I just read recently that even the latest tour, the heiress tour that she has right now, Taylor Swift is going to make $1.6 billion on this tour. Right? She, by herself, is fixing the economy. So she's not worried about what Kanye said, right? Nobody talks about Kanye West in a positive light anymore. Now we don't even know if he's alive, okay? Body doubles. But she carried herself in such a way 
There, she could have immediately grabbed that mic and gone back after him and said things. But she didn't. Because she didn't want to give a measure of control of her life to him in that moment. Because she knew who she was. She wasn't worried about the criticism. That she was going to do what she knew she was good at. And she's holding the award. And he was not. This is what I mean. Like mean people will try to get you off balance. If we don't have a plan in place. So it's difficult to be good to people who aren't good. It's difficult to be kind to people who are, un who are unkind. It's difficult to be sensitive to people who are not sensitive. It's the golden rule seems to not apply in those situations in our, when our, in our first responses, right? Somebody comes at us, they say something, they do something, and, and we don't have the golden rule. Remember the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have others do to you, right? We teach our kids that. Jesus taught this, like the golden rule. Just whatever you want to have happen to you, you should do that. That's the way you should treat other people. But when we come up against people that are mean, sometimes us, the golden rule doesn't apply because we, we justify other means and other measures. We have what we call the iron rule that says, do unto others as they have done unto you. Oh, they wrote that about me on social media? Watch this. They said this about me in the public. Watch this. Oh, they took something from me. Watch what I do. And it's this one up thing. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I, I'm going to get back at them. And when, and when we start trying to play the revenge side of things, that is not going to go well for either one of us. Because it's not natural to treat people the way that we want to be treated. It's not natural. It's not natural to treat people the way that they've treated us. Because for us, it seems like the right, the fair, the just thing is to come back at them and fight. There's, there's a cool story in the Old Testament. It talks about revenge. And, and it goes back and forth with these two people like complaining to each other. And then the one guy's like, I'll, I'll really teach you. So he took two foxes and he tied their tails together. I don't Bible, you got to read this stuff. It's in there. And he ties the tails together and he lights it on fire. Okay? Don't get mad if you're part of PETA. It's not me. This is the Bible. And the foxes take off running through a field with their tails on fire through a wheat field. Now, what do you think the fire did to the wheat? Right? It destroyed their whole economy. But it was like one thing was said and it just escalates, escalates, escalates until everybody ends up paying the price. Have you ever been a part of a situation where you didn't have anything to do with it and all of a sudden you're involved some way, shape, or form and you, like you're the innocent bystander? You know, anybody? Yeah, okay, just want to make sure we're tracking. And so it's, it's difficult, right? It's just difficult. But there is a way. There is a way for us to have compassion and be sensitive and to be kind even to those who have not. So the iron rule is do unto others as they have done unto you. But then, then there's this, the do unto others as someone else has done unto you. So what do we do about mean people? Maybe it's an ex, maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's your boss, your neighbor. Isn't it fun to daydream about how you can get back at them? 
I have wasted countless hours of my life thinking through processes of how I can get them back. Right? I remember this girl broke up with me in high school. Petty. On AOL Instant Messenger. Because Jesus told her to. Right? I spent like two weeks trying to figure out how to come back at that. Right? We can get so petty that we can find ourselves daydreaming about how to come back at people and get them for what they've done to us. But here's what happens when we do that. Getting, getting even makes us even with someone that we don't even like. Because when I do that, I become like that person. Like my pet peeve is when somebody cuts me off in traffic. Anybody else? Like you just want to keep golf balls in the center console of your vehicle. And when that happens, you pull back in front and just throw them out the top of your sunroof or out your window to just to, just pay back, right? I remember, I really am a nice person, by the way. I'm just, I'm just giving you some pointers. I, we lived uh, just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina, and uh, in Lancaster, South Carolina. Do not buy a house here because it'll take you 15 years to sell it. Um, we were driving, we would drive down into Charlotte weekly. And every time that I had to get to Charlotte for an appointment, there were these guys with skin-tight biker shorts and helmets, and there were like 50,000 of them. And they would take up the road and make us late for our appointment every time. I'm like, everybody slide to the right. Let us, this is a two-lane road. You shouldn't be taking up everything. This is a major highway. And I would be lying if I told you that it never crossed my mind of what would happen if I drove in front and hit the brake and just did it, did it, did it, right? I'm better now. This was, this was my much younger days. Doing that just makes me look awful. And not only does it make me look awful, it sure makes Jesus look awful. Like, I know this is why some of you don't have your church sticker on the back of your car, right? I have to think about it. That, that sticker keeps me accountable. Um, it, it, when we try to get even, it, it makes us like the people that we dislike. And you can't ignore it, right? It's hard to ignore it. You lose sleep over it because it'll just keep chipping away. And eventually what happens is you'll break and you will react. And when you react, you give power and you ignore them. And getting even is on your agenda, but it is not the way to move forward in those processes. So there's a third option is that when we, we choose to engage, it increases their power. But when we choose not to engage, it decreases their power over us. It allows us to protect our hearts. It allows us to position ourselves to write a better story. The, the, the way forward is taught by Jesus and it's modeled in the Old Testament about how to move through these situations. So this is not something new for us that, that, the, that the Bible never talks about. It's, it's in here, and we talk about it uh, not only in the, the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament when it intersects with the life of David. Y'all remember that guy? Now, in this story that I'm going to read to you this morning, by the way, this is going to be a cliffhanger, so you're going to have to come back next week to get the whole rest of the message, okay? So David has been anointed as a king, but he's not king yet, okay? He's not there yet. He's got to wait his turn. There's another guy that is the king of Israel. He's the first king of Israel. Anybody know who he was? 
His name was King Saul. They picked him because he looked good. Well, that did not work out for Israel, right? So they didn't, they didn't work off of that anymore. They, they had to find another way to pick a king. But they picked King Saul because he looked good. And so Saul's the first king, and he's, he's figuring this thing out about how to lead the nation, God's people. And as he's doing that, he, he decides that he's not going to do the things he's supposed to, and he cuts corners, and he's not listening to God or the prophets that surround him. So God raises up a new king found in the fields of Bethlehem who's a shepherd boy, right? And he's a shepherd boy. He's a new king but he can't take the throne yet because it's not time. Well, King Saul hears about this and he is not happy. So he pulls David in to kind of keep him close. Remember the old saying, keep your enemies close. And he brings David in so that he knows what his intentions are. To make sure that he's not trying to overthrow us. And But this doesn't go well for Saul because Saul gets really jealous and Saul pushes David, remember, there's spears being thrown and all kinds of things that are happening. And David flees. He's now a fugitive in this story. Okay? So David kills Goliath. He's young. He becomes a national hero. Saul gets word is a rogue prophet. He doesn't like it. Finds out he's been anointed. Doesn't like it. Brings him in. Gets mad. Sends him out. And so David escapes the death threats of Saul. And he becomes a fugitive. And he begins to live in the wilderness. And he attracts a following of 600 other fugitives. So now it's David and 600 other fugitives who are outlaws, and they're angry because they've been mistreated by King Saul too. So they all have something in common. They all have been mistreated. What do you think their conversations are out here in the wilderness? Because when the conditions of, it is hot, out, by wilderness, by the way, it's not like a, a lush garden with tropical garden. A wilderness is a desert in Israel. And they're in the hot sun and, and they had they had everything they wanted in the kingdom, but now they've been pushed out of the kingdom and their lives have been threatened. They're sitting out here. And the hotter they get, what do you think happens? The more they complain, the madder they get. They're angry. They 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 you know, I would want to get revenge on Saul. Where do we find this guy? How do we take this guy out? And so you have these six hundred and, and David is looking for a place to take out all of his frustrations because this is why when people uh, irritate us, get us upset. The people that typically catch the wrath of our bad side are those that are closest to us. Am I right? Spouses, am I right? They didn't, you're like, what did I do? I didn't do anything. Just collateral damage is what we call it. So David's looking for a place to take out his frustrations and he finds a victim. Look what he says in, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. A man in Ma'an had a, a business in Carmel. And he was a very rich man. He had 3,000 sheep. He had 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. So to be rich in this time period was to have 1,000 goats and have 3,000 sheep. Right? Anybody rich? Tithes and offerings probably look really weird in that time period. Like, hey, I've got 10 goats I want to give you today as an offering. Um, and he says that this man's name was Nabal. Okay? His wife's name, Abigail. The woman is intelligent and beautiful. I'm going to help you out. Guys, look at your spouses and be like, I think it's talking about you. You can use that. And so, but the man was a Calebite, which by the way, this is the only time this word appears in the scriptures. This is from the house. Remember Caleb that was helping with Joshua come over? These are his people. They were a good people. And when it talks about Caleb, Caleb's a godly man. It talks about him in a good light. But here, when it uses Calebite coming from that family, it's not in a good thing. So he says, 
that, that Nabal was harsh and he's evil in everything that he did. So he's sheep shearing. It is uh, sheep shearing season. That's tough. When he when he's shearing, what it would do is it was telling them what their profits were going to be. How good did we do? This is the money-making season, right? So this is what he's doing. He's a very wealthy person. This is a, an annual financial report that he's getting to know where are we going to be financially for the rest of the year, okay? You got it? It's weird, not our culture, but this is what they did. Goats, camels, sheep, sheep shearing. Now, in this story, there are two people. There's Abigail. What did the Bible say about Abigail? She was what? Two things. Beautiful and intelligent. Nabal, what two things does it use about him? He, he's, he's harsh, right? And he's evil, which is perfect because it fits his name, Nabal. His name fits him perfectly because it means is heavy, which means he was a burden to deal with and he was just a mean person. So here he is, mean and harsh, married to this beautiful, intelligent woman. So the Bible tells us in verse 4, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. And that, that's weird to think like, okay, what does it have to do with anything? But remember, shearing sheep meant what? That that was for him to find out how much money there was going to be to see how much wealth. So this was actually a sign to David going, all right, he's going to know how much money he has. And we've been out here in the desert and we could use a few things. And so we should go to the rich and take out a loan. So it says that, so David sent 10 young men and instructed them, go up to Carmel and when you come to Nabal, greet him in my name. And then say this, long life to you and peace to you and peace to your family and peace to all that is yours. I hear that you're shearing. And when your shepherds were with us, we did not harass them. And nothing of theirs was missing the whole time that they were in Carmel. In other words, he's saying, listen, your prophet was due to part that we protected you out here in the desert because at any time we could have just come in and taken everything. We could have caused all this disruption. We could have made everything ours. We could have taken you out. We could have killed you, but we chose not to. So kind of feel like you should probably give us a little bit of something, right? And so verse eight says that ask your young men and they'll tell you. So let my young men find favor with you for we have come on a feast day. In other words, uh, you're going to have some extra things. We would like to have some of those extra things if you wouldn't mind sharing those things with us. He says, please give us whatever you have on hand to your servants and to your son David. And David's young men went and said all these things in the ball on David's behalf. And then they waited. They were just waiting on an answer. Now, it doesn't seem too unreasonable, right? That they've been out in the desert. They could use some food. It's, they're, they're shearing the sheep. They're making money. They're going to find out what the profits are. There's probably going to be leftover. Can we just have your leftovers? So now they're waiting on the answer. And the ball made them wait. They had to wait. They had to wait on a word. But he was a very violent man who was not to be messed with. So when David was living in the land of the Philistines, you got to understand something about David because David's patience was not there. We always look at David as like a good man. But, and he was, he was a man after God's own heart, but there was another side to him before that, right? Yeah, he was a shepherd boy, but remember that whole Bathsheba incident? You should really read the language there. It wasn't like she was willingly coming to do those things. And now here, the Bible tells us in, in 1 Samuel chapter 27, it talks about how David would, would raid the Philistines. He would raid their villages. And he would murder every single person in the village. Look at what it says in 1 Samuel. Whenever David attacked the land, he did not leave a single person alive. He killed the men. He killed the women. He took the flocks, the herds, the donkeys, the camel, and the clothing. He took everything. 
Y'all know about that, David? This David has an anger issue, right? This David is ready to attack. And so, by ancient standards, it's pretty dangerous. And so David's waiting, and the longer he waits, the more upset he gets. So Nabal sends his answer. He says in verse 10, Nabal asks him, Who is David? Who's this guy that you speak of? Who is Jesse's son? Many slaves these days are running away from the masters. He's just another guy. Who is he to come ask me? In other words, your master's a nobody. He's an outlaw. And he's asking me for help. I don't owe him anything. So he says, am I supposed to take my bread and my water and my meat that I butchered for my shears and give them to these men? I don't know where they're from. He said, David's young men retraced their steps. When they returned to him, they reported all of these words to David. And they said, listen, it ain't going to go the way you think it's going to go. We've been waiting. We waited on the answer. And the answer is going to be no. This dude is a whole nother ballgame. Like, he's crazy. So he says in verse 13, and he said to his men, all of you, put on your swords. In other words, we're going to pay him back. We're going to live out 1 Samuel 27, 9. We're going to go raid the village. He says, put on your sword. So each man put on his sword. And David also put on his sword. Here's an interesting question. Where'd David's sword come from? You remember this little, little guy, this big guy named Goliath, who had a little bit of a headache after the rock hit him? And David took Goliath's sword and cut his head off and kept his sword. This sword that David has here is Goliath's sword. It's a reminder to not take matters into your own hands. It is a reminder that God will provide and God will take care of. But he's forgotten this whole story. He forgot the whole thing. It's a visual aid of promise and provision and protection that God had chosen him, God had anointed him, and God was going to raise him up. All he had to do was be obedient and walk in the ways of God, and things are going to work out, and it was going to do everything that it needed to be. But David is hurt, and he is angry, and he can't see any of that. We make our dumbest decisions in those moments. Am I right? One of the best pieces of advice I ever got in ministry was whatever you feel, somebody upsets you, you write them a letter, and you put it in your desk, and you come back to it in a week and reread it and see if you still want to send it. I would say the same thing. A good piece of advice for you in life is to write down when you're upset, put it to the side, and come back to it and see in a week when your, your heart's healed and outside that anger if you still want to send that. So he's forgotten God's provision because he's so angry and he is so hurt and he, he's redirecting his frustration with King Saul to Nabal. Because Nabal, did he have any, any reason to have to give them what they wanted? No. He didn't have to. So the Bible says, in verse 10, how about uh, about 400 men followed David while 2,000 stayed with the supplies? Now, I'd call that overkill, right? Like, I'm going to take 400 men to massacre Nabal's people because he wouldn't give me what's actually in Nabal's, but I should have some of what Nabal has. There's an old saying in the church world that says that hurt people hurt people. Isn't that true, though? Hurt people will hurt people. Because there's so much trauma, so much anger, and we operate outside of those emotions. 
and we ended up hurting more people. Now, for David, this is more like hurt people, hunt people, because he's going after them. And it's interesting here because the writer is giving us some inside looks into David's head where he begins to internally build up full steam ahead to build his case and, and justify what he's about to do. He's 100% sure that he's doing what he needs to. You ever have those imaginary conversations with yourself about what you're going to do? Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to say this. Like, you know, you're going, I'm, I'm going to say this. And then you leave that conversation. You think of something else. You're like, man, I should have said that. That would have been a whole lot better. David's doing this. He's having this conversation in his head about what he's going to say and how he's going to win. And, and I would ask this question, what, what can you do to get back at the person who has put you through so much? What are you going to do? It's going to make things better. Right? Not going in with a sword, full massacre, and taking everything out. So the Bible says in verse 21, David had just said, I guarded everything that belonged to this man in the wilderness for nothing. Did anybody ask David to guard it, by the way? Sometimes we get so upset about things that we don't feel appreciated for, but nobody asked us to do it to start with. And he said he was not missing anything, yet he paid me back. Evil for good? Well, he didn't owe you anything. By the way, anger is when we feel like somebody owes us. It's when we feel like somebody owes us. And this is what this is. And in verse 22, I love this part. He says, may God punish me and do so severely if I let any of his males survive until morning. Did y'all catch that? He brought God into this equation. He didn't bring God into the equation about what should I do about this. He made that mind up. Now it is, I need God to help me with my agenda because I'm going to clean house. He said, I've done all these things. And now this guy's paid me back. So my God, deal with me. He's inviting God into the conversation a little too late. Now I'm going to pause the story right there because we're going pick to pick the rest of that up next week. But I want to cover a few things. There are two characters, two responses. Are there any heroes so far in the story? No heroes. This is going to go bad for both parties because we have Nabal and we have David. We have one that did evil for good. And we had David who did good, but he responded with evil. And David's about to do evil for evil. And Nabal is, is about to take his evil self and, and it's not going to go well for him. Sometimes it just seems like evil for evil is the only option. And let me tell you something. It turns out it's not. We want to pay things back so quickly that you can't pay back. You become like them. But between this week and next week, I want you to do a couple of things. I want to give you four questions, and they're on the bottom of your handouts. I want to give you four questions to ask yourself. And when you ask them and you're going through them, I want you not to think about those through the filter of other people that have hurt you. I want you to think from yourself. Don't, don't, think, don't have names and faces in your mind when you think through these questions. But here's the first question. Do you want to be even with someone that you don't even like? Because you, you give them control. Do you want to be even with someone that you don't even like? I know the answer to that question is no, right? I would hope so. But our natural response to mean people oftentimes is an attempt to get even with the people that we don't even like. And then we become just like him. It's a cycle. You see families like this, they're just caught in this cycle, never ending cycle. The only way to break the cycle is somebody has to jump out and start fresh. Right? Some of your friendships that are toxic, it's just a cycle. 
and you just in it, you feel bad for jumping out of it. Let me tell you something. It's going to continue to cycle until you make the decision to jump out of it and start fresh. So do you want to get even with somebody you don't even like? Wouldn't you rather be ahead in life? Wouldn't, wouldn't you prefer to be unlike the person or the people that you dislike? Because when we engage into these things, you become just like those people. What would it look like for you to refuse to get even with somebody? And it's tough. I've got, I've got a letter in my phone that I typed. It's been more than two years ago. Because I, I took the thing, like, type it, type out how you feel, put it in your desk drawer. I put it in my desk drawer, and it's still sitting there. And I'll see it every once in a while. And slowly over these last few years, I've slowly taken stuff out of it. And I believe the Holy Spirit's going to eventually, that, that note's going to completely be gone. Because I don't want to create the cycle. I don't want to be in the cycle. It's tough. Leads us to our third question is, when this is nothing more than a story to tell, what story do you want to tell? Do you want to tell how you got even and how you won when you really lost? Or, or do you want to say, I gave it to Jesus and I let Jesus handle the issue. I let him deal with it. He is my shepherd. He's the one that protects and guides me. When your response to this current relationship is nothing more than a story that you tell, what story do you want to tell them? Do you want to tell a story that says, I ended up just like that person that is like, now I allow them to control me? I, I now allow them to, to infuriate me so much, maybe so angry that I act like them. It's not a good story. It's not a story I want to share. It's not a story I want to tell. And the fourth question is this. What would it look like? This one's hard. This is going to make you uncomfortable, but we want to fight the tension here. We want to, we want to go with the tension. What would it look like for you to return good for evil? Now, the people that we don't have close relationships with, it's, it's kind of easy to, to do that, right? But people that we know, oh, but Jesus, I don't think you know them like I do. Anybody ever said that? Lord, you don't know what they've said. You don't know what they've done. You don't know how they've acted. You don't know the lies that they've said. You don't know the rumors that they've said. You don't know how they've turned all these people against me. Is that true? Does God go on? Oh, Robbie, dude, I am so sorry, man. I'm, I didn't see that down there. I didn't know that was going on. Here's what I found in those situations. That God goes, hey, man, I know. But see, what you're doing is you're looking at this point right here in your life where you are. And, and you're looking back behind you. But I see the whole picture. And what I need you to do is just trust me and do what I told you to. Don't worry about all the mess. But if you'll just do what I told you to and be committed to what I've called you to do. I see the future. And the future is really bright. Because there's a lot of glory that I'm going to get out of this. So I just need you to be obedient. We have this tunnel vision. We can only see right now and behind us, but we don't see what God wants to do in front of us. What would it look like if we were just to trust him and return good for evil? Now, I want you to answer that question this week and ponder on that. Jesus said, I want you to do good to those who mistreat you. That's hard. And he says, don't just forgive them. Don't just ignore them. Don't just... Try not to be like them. Jesus says, that's not enough. I want you to think through how to do good things to those people who mistreat you. Because Jesus knew that doing good to people who have not been good to us is ultimately what will free us and will protect our hearts. Getting even is natural, is predictable, but Jesus has invited us to the unpredictable. 
some of the stress, the toxicity that you've picked up in your life is because you're holding on things and you're holding on to a burden and bearing a burden that you were never intended to carry. You need to let it go. He says, I'll give you rest for your soul. He's invited us to do something extraordinary. What would it look like for you to return good to people? What would that look like? Because you don't pull ahead by attempting to get even. You just get with Jesus. And that's what we're going to pick up next week. So I want to pray for you. And I'm going to pray this for you this morning. I'm going to pray that God will not leave you alone over this. Because there's some people in here that you, you've experienced some hurt. You're still walking through some hurt. And you think you're good. Listen, there, there are moments I think that I'm good and then something happens and boom, it pops right back up and then I become not what I should be. And I know there's some of you that have been deeply hurt and deeply scarred, relationally scarred. I want to ask the Father to really dig into that wound and clean it out so it can heal properly. I'm going to ask that the Spirit interrupt your life this whole week to ponder these questions so that He can do a work in your life. Again, cleaning out those wounds and pouring the anointment of His Spirit, which will heal. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You so much today. It's so easy too, God, for us to think about all people that we think are mean. Sometimes it's us. Sometimes we're the mean one. And I pray if that's us right now, we know that we've caused relational damage and we've caused pain to somebody, that we would repent of that to you, but God, we would also go and seek forgiveness from those that we have caused issues with. I pray for your Holy Spirit to come in and convict, to enlighten, our spirits. There are some hurts in this room that are, that God, they, people would say, I, I feel like I'm over it, but they're not. It, it's still keeping them from moving forward in their lives. They think about it. There are instances that happen that, that bring it all back to the surface, like ripping the band-aid off. And God, band-aids don't fix bullet holes. So I pray for your spirit to do a work in them, that you would bring healing to those areas. That we could be the people that you've designed us to be and that you've made us to be, to love you and to love others. And God, when we love you, we love others. And even those who have committed act, grievous actions against us, just like your son said on the cross, Father, forgive them. So in this moment, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to move, to bring unrest to our souls until we deal with these issues that we struggle with. And may you get all honor and glory and praise. And I pray this in the name of Jesus that will heal everything that needs to be healed. Amen.